You're listening to Productive Flourishing. Thanks for joining us today. We, we find the need to figure out what's going on in our own heads and why we are the way we are irresistible. And so when you set up a dichotomy of your either left brain or your right brain, and I don't know if we discuss left brain as that typical, like analytical data-driven right brain is the creativity and artist. We kind of think, well, I tend to do this thing or that thing. And so this is who I am. And we shut ourselves off from um, there, the possibility that we could be both and how to use that to the best of our abilities. That was Kara Chase, a Pinterest marketing strategist for online entrepreneurs, a writer, and the former social media strategist for a worldwide band with 13 million fans across 17 social media accounts. This episode isn't about Pinterest or social media. It's about integrating creative and analytical thinking in ways that make both better. Too often, we overvalue or undervalue one for the other, but the real trick is learning which brain is better for the task at hand and, even better, to approach the task with your whole mind. I'm Charlie Gilkey, and this is Productive Flourishing. Welcome to Productive Flourishing, where we explore how to do the work that matters so you become your best self in the world. I'm your host, Charlie Gilkey, and I'm joined by Angela Wheeler and other guests who will share their stories, insights, wins, and challenges in the hopes that our journeys and stories will help you with yours. Now, on to the show. Kara, I am so pumped to have you on the show today because this topic is near and dear to my heart. I think when a lot of people show up to Productive Flourishing and they sort of learn about my work and background, their first thought is like, okay, this is sort of logical, analytical, sequential, you know, work. That's what this is going to be about. And they don't really see the creative side of things until a little bit later. And I think that's indicative to the broader conversation that we're going to have because of this dichotomy we make in business and in creative work between the analytical side and the creative side. And that can actually get us into quite a bit of trouble and run around in knots, and it doesn't let us be our best self. So typically it's me on the stump about this integration, me and like Dan Pink. And I mean, there are other people, but I love to have different voices talk about their journey and how it's working out for them and and what they've learned. So with that said, Kara, how about you give us a little background into yourself. And I love your story for so many different reasons. And I know that there um, are parts of it that you can't share for reasons we'll still we'll soon see. But um, go ahead and let us know what's going on. Yeah, I'd love to. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited about this conversation. Not a lot of people I've talked to about it. So um, long story short, I was recruited right out of college as a special agent for the federal government. So a criminal investigator And at 22 years old, that's what I was doing. It's pretty much as analytical and data-driven as you can get. And it was really only a few years in that I realized it wasn't the right fit for me. And that's a much longer story. But I left after 10 years in with no idea what I was going to do for the rest of my life. And there's a big gap in this story there. But what I ended up doing next was becoming the social media manager for the band Megadeth. So 
If you're into 80s, 90s thrash metal, you probably know who they are. Um, if you don't, that's okay. We can still be friends. But um, it was really the first time I saw how creativity led to success. So I hung out there for a couple years, learned everything that I could about digital marketing and social media. And as of today, I am a Pinterest marketing strategist and I have a client agency and a membership. That's fantastic. And um, I'm just going to slide this in there. Um, Kara, when I first met you, I didn't know about the Megadeth thing. Right. And it was like... Wait, what? 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 (laughs) And not because of Megadeth. Like, I I know about metal. I know about Megadeth. But, like, you're not... You don't look like the normal metalhead, you know? I didn't look like a special agent either. That's kind of the secret, (laughs) right? It's the secret, yeah. Right. Um, And so, yeah, if you you check Kara's website out, and I hope you do, you'll see why she would make such a great special agent. And I'll just leave it at that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Well, and and what I love about where you are now is, especially on Pinterest, um, I think there are, I mean, what, except for maybe Imager, maybe now TikTok, what's a more iconically creative social media platform than Pinterest itself? Well, it it really depends on how you define creative. So this was one of the realizations that I've come to in the last few years is that I grew up with a very specific lens through which creativity was presented. So it was the starving artist, the, uh, um, you know, somebody that does that kind of classic art, whether it's painting or sculpture or whatever it is. Um, and now you could definitely argue, you know, Instagram started off as a, you know, really about photography and beautiful images. That is its own creativity. But what I love about Pinterest is it is the only visual search engine out there and there isn't anything more perfect visual meaning creative and search engine meaning analytical that provides a combination like nothing else I've seen. I love that you push the conversation in that direction um, because I too grew up with what I call, um, well, with the image of what I call black beret creativity, mm-hmm. you know, like it's the poet and it's the, you know, painters. And it's, that's, that's what creativity meant. Maybe novelists too, right? Yes. Those are like the creative people. And if you're not in sort of those like black beret creativity realms, then mm-hmm. you're doing something else. Right. Right. Um, but it's not, you're not a creative person. Right. Um, and that was partially because I grew up um, under sort of the shadow of my brother, who was a brilliant and still is a brilliant Black Beret um, creative person. He, you know, he's got a mural in Fort Smith that he was one of the primary painters for. Wow. Um, he um, can just pick up instruments and learn how to play them. Like, and he's got that sort of type to himself, right? right. Um, especially when he was a teenager, he then went to the Marines. This is sort of a thing in our family. Like we go into, we go into Marines, we go into army and then get different skills. But at his core, he's this hyper creative sort of black, bay, black beret creative person. Right. And I was not that right. I was the guy that did well in science and math and um, still, you know, there are times when I have to remember that I myself am creative, right? Because even when I started productive flourishing, and I was doing what I was doing with the planners and things like that. I still didn't really consider that as creative. It was just like, you know, I just, 
can take information and display it in a certain way that makes it easier for people to think. Yes. Like that's not particularly creative. Yes. I'm not, I'm not a poet, right? I'm not a blah, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it took a while for me to be like, oh no, it's because of this um, frame that I've accepted about creativity. Yes. Well, um, and, and am reinforcing. I think we all feel really comfortable defining ourselves and others. This Mm -hmm. is why we all love personality tests and to take fun quizzes about what kind of cheese are you on Facebook, right? We, we find the need to figure out what's going on in our own heads and why we are the way we are irresistible. And so when you set up a dichotomy of your either left brain or your right brain, and I don't know if we discuss left brain as that typical, like analytical data-driven right brain is the creativity and artist. Um, We kind of think, well, I tend to do this thing or that thing. And so this is who I am. And we shut ourselves off from um, there, the possibility that we could be both and how to use that to the best of our abilities. And you ended that on the possibility that we could be both. Mm -hmm. When I think the closer truth is the reality is that we are both. Absolutely. For sure. Um, that has definitely been something that I've uncovered about myself over the years. And even looking back at my time as a criminal investigator, I mean, yes, the whole data driven and, um, you know, tons of information that you have to process and put together a, report for criminal complaints and all of that kind of stuff. But the reality is the way the investigations work, you have to have some creativity because essentially what you're doing is a crime has been committed and you have to figure out how that all happened and reverse engineer it and put the pieces together in a way that um, may might not make sense from the get go. So, but people don't really think about that. You don't think of being a criminal investigator as something that could be creative, but the more creative you are, typically the more successful you are. Exactly. And I experienced a similar sort of scenario when I was um, in the army as well, right? Like, sure, I might've been dealing with people who couldn't sit down and paint something or draw something, um, but you give them a real, like, real-world practical problem, and they can solve it super fast, right? right? Um, using paper clips and duct tape and, you know, um, half of a MRE or whatever they had available, right? right. Um, to come up with these really great solutions that, like, you would never have seen coming. Right. Um, and if you try to sort of work at it too hard, you couldn't get to it anyways. And so... Um, yeah, we're all in that way. It's just that our culture, in a way, and our culture, and therefore we, in a way, because we're products and, and we get socialized a certain way, right. we glamorize a certain kind of creativity. Yes. A certain kind of problem solving, a certain kind of way of thinking through problems. Um, you know, we said, said, like, that's the artist way, or that's the, like, innovative way, you know, and I'm saying, like, capital A, capital I, right? Um, those are like the good high class way of doing things. Right. And if you're not doing those, then 
well, it's cool. You can you can be cunning. You can be smart, but not creative. I'm not so sure. Right? Not so sure. Well, you know, it's interesting you say that. And particularly when you said you were the one that was good at math and science and your brother was the artist. I am the third of four children. And those positions had already been filled in my family. <laughs> yeah. So it was very much like I didn't feel as quote unquote artistic as my older sister. My older brother was really great at math and science and I love to write. Writing has always been something that I could just lose myself for hours over in a corner and go do. And what I didn't realize is that I was doing the creativity um, with art and math and science differently than they were. So I'm not particularly skilled at math from a classic perspective, but I'm really, really good at seeing patterns in data, which is a different kind of math. So all of these things that um, I just grew up thinking that, you know, I, I didn't know where I fit in the spectrum of left brain or right brain. What I did know is that I was told left brain was the only way to be successful. So it's been an interesting journey through all of that for sure. So what difference does it make though? Well, the really cool thing is when you kind of break down those ideas about yourself, like left brain or right brain, you can start using both to make your life so much better. So for example, Pinterest marketing is not something that I got into because I think Pinterest is going to change the world or I have some you know deep values around Pinterest. I was doing social media marketing, um, you know, all of it. So every platform plus website building and email marketing and all these different things for uh, numerous clients. And what I noticed is that Pinterest was getting the best results for them and for me. So it took a little while to kind of let the information work itself out in the back of my head. But what I realized is that Pinterest for marketing was following the 80-20 rule. So 20% of my effort was getting the 80% of results. And by focusing on Pinterest, what I was able to do was use that data to give me more time and space and energy to be creative. So because I stopped doing all the other things and throwing spaghetti at the wall, because I took a look at the data and analyzed what was going on, I gave myself that time back in order to really step into my business and what I love doing about my business. So what was the, um, what was the unlock for you that, that really gave you the ability to sort of have an integrated mind approach to Pinterest? Like what was, can you think of that moment where you're like, Oh, and both, both sides of your brain came together at once. Yeah, I can tell you the exact moment, actually. So I uh, started my business when I struck out on my own, and I was a content creation machine, meaning blogging every week without fail. And then I'd go down the checklist of like Instagram post, LinkedIn post, Facebook post, a couple pins, you know what I just was going through the motions of what everybody else said I needed to do to build up my brand and my expertise. 
And about nine months into my business, I had this aha moment of, I should take a look at the data and see what's happening on my website and what all this effort is leading to. And so I went into my Google Analytics and I realized that 80% of my traffic was coming from Pinterest. And most of the Pinterest traffic was to one particular blog. And it was nine things your social media manager should be doing. And so, (laughs) right? So I uh, sat on, it was one of those like, I know this information is really valuable, but I'm not sure how yet. And it's the same thing when um, you're trying to figure out anything. Like you never know what little piece is going to be the corner piece that puts the puzzle together. So it was one of those, I know this is important. My subconscious is working on it. And a couple days later, I had the aha moment of, if this is what people are coming to my website for, and this is what they want to learn then this is what I need to do to build my email list. I really didn't have an email list. And what I did was I turned it into a free ebook and, um, you know, asked for people's email address for free to get the, the ebook version of nine things your social media manager should be doing. So it opened up the doorway for this beyond doing all the things that other people are telling you to do. And how do I make this work for me? How do I make this work for my business? How do I make this work for what I want to put out there and help people with? And that was the very first step down that road of how do I take the information that I have about what people want and what they need to serve that to them in a way that not only helps my business, but is in integrity with who I am and how I want to help. What I love about that is that it seems that there's that like, what if moment that happened Yeah, <laughs> um, in there. It's like, Hey, what if the way I've been doing this um, is not the best way to do it? Yes. <laughs> or what if I didn't go in with a preconceived notion mm-hmm. of like, here's what I'm going to see. What if I just looked at things mm-hmm. um, and sort of went from there and then created something new from that? Yeah. I've always been a person that I have no fear about doing things differently or making really hard decisions, but it's going to be a smart decision. And I'm going to have taken my time and gathered every piece of information I can to make that decision. But I have zero issue with going against the grain for sure. I mean, you kind of have to, to be a metal fan, right? Right. It's kind of the whole point, right? Um, yeah. And that exactly. So, as you've been working through this and as you've been sort of leaning more in there, like where do you think you're still stuck on this spectrum and um, not spectrum on this integration mm-hmm. and how are you working through that? I think the struggle that I continue to unpack is that getting busy and data driven and trying to do things is my default mode when I'm not sure what to do. So anytime I get a little stressed out or anytime I feel overwhelmed or busy or all those, you know, work from home entrepreneur things, my default mode is to um, go to that left brain side and 
spin my wheels a little bit, gathering data and educating myself. You know, you can only buy so many courses before you actually have to do something with them, right? So I kind of go into that input mode of gathering information um, and not letting it sit in my head. So what I'm trying to do more and more is when I recognize that pattern in myself with my energy and my actions of, it's almost like the click hole, right? You start trying Mm -hmm. to get busy and you're clicking around and you're trying to figure things out and you're not really gaining any traction. What I'm trying to do is that's a signal to myself that I need to stop. And every single time when I get back into my body instead of my head, so meditating, going for a walk, just stopping and taking a few deep breaths, that's when that all just kind of dissipates and the creativity and the perspective opens up again. So I've definitely noticed a distinct correlation between getting back into my body, opening up the creative side of me. And when I'm in my head, that's when I am working out of my left brain side. So what I'm hearing is that your shadow self sort of clings to the analytic for safety and sort of things like that. Like, that's the way you go. I um, mean, you sort of identified how that works out, but I'm curious, Yes. Um, how do you know when you're being um, over creative or hyper creative, what does that look like and how you um, sort of get back into an integrated self there? Yeah. When I am being over creative, um, it's almost more of a, I don't know if there's such a thing as too much self care, but it, it's, Let me think about how to say this. I'm not meeting the goals that I want to meet because I'm not swinging back in the pendulum to taking action. So there's a, there's a pendulum swing that happens between, okay, I am too busy. I'm not taking breaks. I'm too much in my head. I've got that spinny head, no traction feeling all right, I need to take some time out, breathe, go for a walk, take a nap, power nap, whatever it is. And when I end up spending too much time doing that, then then I keep myself from taking the action that I need to take. So it really is like a constant checking in with where you are in the pendulum swing and if you need to adjust. Okay, so... Pendulum swing. Let's talk about that if I can talk at all. Um, so over, let's call it the left side. You can't see me waving my arm here because we're doing this on Zencaster right, right. now, right? Um, so over on the left, what I heard was um, sort of analysis, paralysis, and inaction. Yes. Right. And over on the right end of the spectrum, it's like too much, too much action. Right. Um, just. Too much action, too much scattered, too much doing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's sort of your spectrum um, of things. And what I want to acknowledge on this one is that spectrum and those patterns may just, they're not just care, but like there are different personality types that do this. So some people, um, when they're in an over over analytical mode, they actually overdo a lot of different things, but it just looks a lot different. Right. Um, and then when they get creative, they get stuck, right? right. Um, and so if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, that doesn't ring true for me, 
that's okay, right? But there are, um, I think you probably have your own patterns of when you go over into over analysis or, you know, too much left brain, mm-hmm. or when you go over into too much uh, or hyper creativity, um, or too much right brain. Absolutely. I, um, one of my personality tests that I like is the Clifton Strengths Finder. And my number one strength is input, which fits pretty much everything in my life and the way I've functioned from not only criminal investigations to teaching myself how to be a social media manager at the scale of a band like Megadeth. If you want to know about something, I can figure it out research it, get all the information you could possibly want to know about it. And I know how to use it. So it is by far my biggest strength. And that's one of the reasons that I default to that mode is because it's, it's comfortable for me. Yeah. I use Clifton strengths in my work with clients and, um, inputs come up a lot mm-hmm. in my work. Um, and so the way that I often will talk about inputs is like, they're just this information vacuum and it can never actually be filled. Right. Um, there, there's always another click around the corner. There's always another book, so on and so forth. And depending upon the relationship that you have with other strengths, it can seriously lead into, um, a, uh, unconscious, way of um, getting stuck in the work, right? Because it seems like devouring more information and devouring more information is being productive um, because that's what an input will tell themselves. I'm getting the information. This is how you do it. You make a plan, you get so on and so forth. Right. But after about six months of that, like you realize (laughs) it's exhausting and you know, for any, especially important decision, Mm -hmm. there's always going to be a gap between the information you need to make the decision and the information you can actually get. Yes, Um, And so there's that leap that, that inputs um, and analytical types will get stuck in because they can't make that leap from the data they have to the choice they need to make. Right. One of the tools that I've developed to, um, break that pattern is I am a voracious reader. I, I mean, you just put a book in my hands and I will devour it. And one of the patterns that I noticed myself getting into the last couple of years was I was reading business book after business book, after personal development book, after how to, you know, all of those things that you look for because you want to learn how to do something better But what it wasn't enabling me to do was giving my brain a break. It wasn't letting my brain rest. And so now what I do is I will switch up a personal development or business or left brain book with pure, honest to goodness, fiction, junk food for your head. And what that enables my brain to do is rest and I end up coming back more creative and refreshed when I'm ready to get back to work. Yeah, I have a similar process. It's not left brain, right brain, but it's think of it more like a reading wheel mm-hmm. where it goes from like marketing to sales to management to productivity to strategy to economics to history, right. um, personal development, personal finance, right? And you just sort of read along the wheel. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's my general pattern, unless it's like a project where I'm like, oh, we just started a new membership site. I'm going to go read four books on that, right? Right, Because it's just in time sort of self-directed learning project on that. So when I'm not in project mode, 
right? It's hitting that wheel. And that just makes sure that like you don't end up becoming that Maslowian person that like sees the world a certain way. Right. Um, and keep applying, you know, your problem solving matrix in that same way, because you see the world as, you know, when all you've got is a hammer, you see the world as a nail, right? Um, and so I'm like, well, I actually want to have the whole toolbox. Um, and what that does is any given thing I look at doesn't have to be a nail. It can be a nail or it can be a coat hanger or it can be, um, you know, whatever it needs to be right. um, as opposed to or whatever I need it to be as opposed to what I see it as. Absolutely. And I've really found by by doing that, it's almost the same as when you take a good long weekend or you finally get a good night's sleep or whatever it is. It doesn't fall into what we think of as, quote unquote, productivity. But what you're doing is you're allowing yourself to rest in it. And it almost just resets your brain um, instead of getting stuck in the cycle of wherever you are. Yeah, well, that's a whole nother conversation about how we've myopically defined productivity. Absolutely. To just be about output. Um, instead of some of these pillars of like self-care and compassion and, right. you know, things like that, that are actually truly matter to us and are just axes that get left out of the conversation because... It's conversations about doing and output and efficiency and blah, blah, blah. So that's really interesting you brought that up because one of the reasons I've gone on this completely crazy, unique journey as an adult is my quest for better self-care. I ended up quitting as a special agent because I went to my doctor because I was having some issues we couldn't figure out. And she looked me in the eye and said, your job is killing you. It was a pretty poignant self-care moment. And that was when I knew I was not going to spend the next 25 years in that career. And although I didn't realize what I was doing at the time, everything I've done since then is to figure out how I can work smarter for better results so I can take care of myself and have the time and the space that I need to fulfill other things about me, like my creativity, family time, naps, whatever it is. So really, that's been the thread from that point on that has been, I am going to figure out how to do this well. And it has been that I have to figure out how to do better so I can have more self-care. Let's unpack that a little bit because I've seen this pattern quite frequently. Um, a lot of different ways to talk about this, but one of the things that I've seen is um, we'll speak in a very left brain language here. Sure. When you sort of sort all the things that are important and the things that matter and all the metrics and things like that, it is far too easy for one's own health and happiness and joy to not be in that list of things. Right. Um, and so there's this way in which, um, practical creatives like us will end up solving certain types of problems. And we're really, really good at that, mm -hmm. but not seeing that that problem is missing pieces of the equation or we're not seeing pieces of the equation, um, because frankly, it's harder to deal with, or we just don't see it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, can you think of as a 22 year old, you probably think being a special agent is like, well, that's the coolest thing ever. Or this is the most, I don't know if I'm allowed to uh, curse on here or not. But you are. 
it's the most badass job that I could possibly, you know, think of. And I'm going to get paid really well. And I'm going to have job security and I'm going to get an actual pension and all of these things. And so what was being unpacked for me during those 10 years as an agent was I was so unfulfilled on many levels and it was really difficult to figure out why, because I had checked so many boxes of what other people told me success looked like, but my body was like, nope, nope, this is not, this is not working at all. Um, and I had never been taught how to listen to uh, my body or anything else that was going on. Um, that just really wasn't a societal conversation at that time. However, many years ago, a couple decades ago. Um, so yeah, it's really hard to look at those, um, conversations where it's like, what am I missing here? Um, when it seems like it should be something different. Well, and it's part of the the way that that story gets told, right? That success and money and great career and everything like that. Like once that's in place, mm-hmm. then then that's where you get to take care of yourself. Then that's where like the good things happen, right? Um, except for the amount of work that it takes to maintain those things that you've accrued and to stay in that game creates sort of this bridge that you can never actually finish. Absolutely. Um, and so you end up in this period of like, and, and it reminds me of another friend that I have and, and we joke about it. Um, although I'm starting to get less funny about it with him um, is that his, his story over the last three or four years, he's been doing a lot of really great projects, but he's like, once I'm over this, I'll be able to. And he just, sort of, his hand always goes from like, you know, his left hand goes from right to left. He's like, once I'm over that, then I'll be able to do it. And once I'm over and I'm, and there's a certain point where I was like, bro, no, you've been saying this for three years. Right. Right. Um, there is no like getting over, like once you're over this project, what are we doing about this now? And, and it's one of those weird things where it's like, you got to be careful when you're talking to a friend who you're not, who's not a client, right? Cause you, you may not have permission to have that conversation, but still at a certain point, we got to look at each other and say, or look at ourselves and say, okay, like I've been on this road for this long and these same patterns keep showing up over and over again. Mm-hmm. Why do I think like, what's that missing piece that I think once I put it in place is going to finally solve this versus, and this is where, you know, sort of that create that left brain, right brain sort of thing. It's like, you can sort of see that if you keep solving the puzzle the same way and keep having to solve the puzzle the same way, you're not actually solving the puzzle. I agree with you. Totally agree with you. But also, or maybe the correct phrase is, and everybody has The pendulum swing, Mm -hmm. excuse me, everybody has the pendulum swing. And so recognizing that it's not that you didn't solve the problem or, you know, it's a pattern you can't escape from. It's also recognizing that this is the pattern that I get into. And if I can be aware of it and have all the tools that I need to work with this instead of against it. That's the other thing I feel is learning to work with instead of pushing against um, when it comes to these different mindsets and patterns and problem solving. Um, So yeah, I do agree with you, but I also think there's another layer there of, of working with your patterns instead of just trying to do it differently. 
Let's think in that pocket. Explain a little bit more. Maybe give us some for instances or examples. Hmm. Let me think. Hmm. <laughs> well, I guess an example would be what I outlined as far as my patterns of I default into left brain and too busy and click hole and all of those things. Um, and I know what to do when that happens. I'm not fighting against my personality. I'm not trying to beat up on myself for, I can't believe I'm still doing that. I am able to, at this point, recognize, okay, this is where I'm at right now. What are my tools for getting out of this mode and this default? And then I'll go to whatever those tools are, whether it's taking some time for myself, meditating, all those self-aware, self-care things. And then it's being able to recognize, okay, I can't nap all day, or I can't take three hours to go on a walk today. I have responsibilities or whatever it is. So this is what I need to do to rest my brain. And when I'm done with that, then I'm going to get back to work. So it's really more that zooming out view of yourself and being okay with who you are. Because I mean, like we talk about different personalities, they process and take action in different ways. And so learning to work with that, I think is really beneficial, just like learning um, how to use both your left brain and right brain is really beneficial. Yeah, we've sort of hinted that we have different personalities here. Um, So in this case, like in many ways, I have to be careful about inactivity because when there's inactivity in certain things that are actually problems, it's actually a disengagement. Mm-hmm. And so it's, um, you know, a lot of times when I am overwhelmed or overloaded or things like that, it's not necessarily that I need to like drop things right. or, you know, do things. It's like, actually, I need to go address that other thing. <laughs> that I've, that's bugging me, that's creating some of these problems and so on and so forth. So checking, you know, walking away from the problem for me sometimes is in fact, the worst thing that I should do right? as opposed to going and chipping away at it. And granted, you have to manage, you have to sort of know whether, oh, the challenge here is that I'm generally overloaded and I need to work on that load and bring it down. That's one sort of challenge that you might find yourself in. Mm -hmm. But the other is, is actually... Um, there's this other thing over there that I'm not attending to that I'm not engaging with that globally is creating a problem or giving me emotional load, mm-hmm. um, that, um, I need to go address. Um, and it's a pain in the butt and it's something I've avoided or whatever that might be. It might be a hard conversation or something I need to get some courage points on or whatever. Right. Um, and then once I do that, it sort of frees open that energy to go work on the other thing. So Absolutely. And I think the key, the crux of what we're both getting to here is that the point is learning how to solve your problem, because you're always going to have problems. You're always going to have who you are and the way your brain has been hardwired since you were, you know, a small child um, and the things that we can recognize ourselves. But it's, it's developing those tools to move through those problems and recognize how to solve them because they're always going to be there. That seems like a great place for us to start wrapping the conversation up a little bit. And as the guest for today's podcast, you get to leave us with either a challenge or an invitation, depending upon which one most resonates with you. So 
based upon what we've talked about, what would you either invite or challenge our listeners to do? Can I give two challenges? Just because you're an Enneagram 7, yes. <laughs> okay. The first is to take social media off your phone for a weekend. The second is to read a fiction or book that's purely for pleasure and see how much your brain feels reset and relaxed and what ideas and inspirations come out of that. Those are two challenges that I can 100% get behind. Yeah. So Kara, thanks so much for joining us on today's podcast. It's been a great conversation. Thank you for having me. All right, listeners. So you heard it from Kara. She gave you two challenges because that's how she rolls. One is to take social media off your phone for the weekend. And the second is to dive into that fiction um, book that you've been wanting to read. I'll expand it a little bit. Dive into something that's pure play. That's not having to do with whatever challenges or problems that you're dealing with in your life. See what emerges for you after that weekend. And if you like what emerges, maybe try it again. Until next time, stand tall and start finishing. Thanks for listening to Productive Flourishing. To get more resources that will help you finish the work that matters and be your best self in the world, head on over to ProductiveFlourishing.com. If this episode warmed your heart or got your wheels turning, we'd really appreciate it if you'd leave a review for the podcast on iTunes. 